are the voice of trucking. Welcome to Key Up New York, the Trucking Association of New York's official podcast. I'm Kendra Hems, president of the Trucking Association, your host, and I'm joined by my co-host. I am Zach Miller, the Metro Region Operations Manager for the Trucking Association of New York. Great. Well, we are going to get right into mm-hmm. it today because I think we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so Zach mentioned he is our Metro Region um, Operations Manager. So Zach gets... Mm-hmm fully involved with all of the wonderful things that are happening in New York City. Anyone who operates a truck in New York City, I'm sure, has their share of stories that they can provide us on um, challenges that they've had to deal with. Um, And I genuinely do want to hear about them from you. So just quickly, please make sure to contact me at Zach at nytrucks.org. Absolutely. That's actually what drives a lot of what Mm -hmm. we do, right? So when we're, um, to digress for a moment, Mm -hmm. uh, when we're looking at the association's legislative agenda or areas that we know we have to address, it really comes from the input from mainly our members, but others from the industry that contact us when they have problems. Exactly. And and some of what we're going to talk about today comes directly from membership, uh, flagging it for us. Yes, it does. <laughs> we've, we've heard a lot about these issues. Um, and they are, and there's challenges and, and certainly operating mm-hmm. trucks in New York City, just the congestion alone and trying to navigate between passenger vehicles and bicyclists mm-hmm. and pedestrians. It's, it's a challenge. I had one of our members um, many years ago likened it to trying to roll a large stone through an ant hill without squishing any ants. <laughs> That's how he likened driving a truck in New York City. Um, I don't think he's wrong. No, he's it's... not wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, kudos to the men and the women who do it safely every single day. Absolutely. It's, it really is incredible, the work that they do. Um, wish it was a little bit more appreciated, but that's part of our mission and, and part th- of what we've been doing. I, I was just going to say, and I think we're getting there. I, 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 I really totally think agree. we're getting there. And, and um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing in New York City, yes, it's to address the challenges mm-hmm. that the industry struggles with, but it's also creating some great opportunities um, for us as an organization, Mm -hmm. as well as for our membership, um, building some kind of unique relationships and really, uh, I think, making progress on a number of the issues. It's it's slow. Mm -hmm. Um, As we know, things don't happen quickly when you're dealing with um, particularly legislation. But I think we're starting to change the dialogue a little bit. We're opening the eyes of our legislators as well as some of the community groups that we're working with on the importance of the industry um, and the fact that the industry isn't necessarily creating these challenges. They're challenges that the industry is having to find a way to navigate through. Um, so, so a lot of, a lot of stuff going on and we could kind of talk around it all day, but I think we can dive into some of the key issues. Well, and it, 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 it's interesting, I think, because you did mention how things are, are changing, um, slowly but surely. And, and I think it's important that the listeners know the sort of timeline that we've committed to the metro area, specifically New York city. Um, we had our annual conference in 2016 at West Point. Um, beautiful location, great conference. I certainly recommend all you members go to the uh, our, our yearly management conference in September. But things in New York City have got so chaotic. But that was really the talk of the conference. Um, that was not the agenda of the conference, but that was the talk of it. And right then and there, we decided we needed to do more in New York City. So we quickly convened a meeting of membership, and we built out the Metro Region Government Affairs Committee. Um, which is a an offshoot of our 
general government affairs committee specifically dedicated and and we really hit the ground running this committee we started attending city council hearings we really got uh i think re-engaged with dot and the office of frame mobility and we started to sort of plant our flag so to speak that we're here and we represent the industry um and from that sort of initial success we realized we needed to cultivate these relationships on a more regular basis. So that's when we, we mentioned on a previous episode that we have a New York City-based contract lobbyist. That's when we decided to bring them in. Um, and we got a little bit further along in the process, you know, of building ourselves and, and advocating for membership in the industry in New York City. Um, and then the decision was made that um, even with the committee, even with the lobbyists, the staff, particularly Kendra, were dedicating a lot of time to New York City and these issues, and there are other things that are going on in the association and in the state that we need a, a dedicated staff person um, for New York City. So that's where we created the um, the Metro Region Operations Manager position. And, and you know, I think now that we have all that in place, that we put in the work since 2017, um, we're starting to see the success of that. And, and the plan, of course, is to just keep growing it every single year um, to the point where um, where we're playing a little bit more offense and we're getting there and that's really exciting. Yeah. And I think one of the other reasons why we, we felt we needed to focus on New York city in addition to all of the challenges mm -hmm. that those that operate there deal with is a lot of stuff happens in New York city that then spreads yeah. to the rest of the state. So they'll come up with ideas or they'll pass legislation and then we suddenly see it at the state mm -hmm. level as well. Um, so as a way to try and head some of that off or be more proactive in preventing that from happening, we felt we really needed that increased presence in New York City. And to your point, once we hired our contract lobbyist, which we did quickly, so that was September of 17, that um, we made the decision to create the committee. In December of 17, we had a contract lobbyist hired. And from that point, it has just taken off mm -hmm. in terms of the amount of uh, work that we're doing and meetings that we're involved in, um, they have really opened up the access for the association. And I was spending a significant amount of time just on New York City. Um, and you're right, there's other things as a statewide organization that we need to be doing and focusing on. And that's when the board decided, you know, we really need that dedicated presence down there. Um, and just recently in October of last year, mm -hmm. Uh, we mentioned on a previous podcast, Zach was originally a member of the association and, in fact, was our first chair of the Metro Region Government Affairs Committee um, and is now on board as staff and has been doing a great job. It was um, a longtime uh, TANI member, Jerry Vadas. He called it my baby. He called the uh, government, the Metro Government Affairs Committee my baby. Um, and if you know Jerry Vadas, you know he, he means it with love and tenderness. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I'm not sure we would have found somebody that was more ingrained and dedicated and passionate about working in New York City and addressing these issues for our members as you. So it's been a great transition to see you come from the member side to the staff side. And I think one of the other benefits there is that you you had the member side. So mm -hmm. you've been interacting from the membership level with other members, and now you can bring that knowledge and experience to the position as as one of our team. Yeah, and I really do feel, in, in a lot of these cases, I really do feel their frustration. Um, and it's not just because um, my dad rants about it. Um, it is because I, I, I was there with them and I understood it. But at the same time, what 
what I think a lot of them need to understand and are starting to understand is that with any sort of challenge, there are opportunities. And it's it's the role of the association to take advantage of those opportunities, um, you know, for their benefit. And one of the big ones, and this has been a problem, this is a nationwide problem, um, is the lack of overnight truck parking. Um, you know, Secretary Buttigieg, who is a, a new friend to Tanny, um, <laughs> that you should really check out our social media to, to see the press conference that, that we were at with him. But um, he raised the issue. He's been raising the issue because it is a national issue. It's something like there's, um, what, one parking space available for every 11 trucks on the road. I mean, that is, uh, that is absolutely obscene uh, for an industry that's as essential as we are um, to not be able to provide those drivers literally the bare minimum so they can safely rest and, and recuperate and, um, and abide by federal gu- guidelines. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, let's not forget about that. So it's a national problem in dense urban areas. It's exacerbated. We all know um, residents are rightfully getting upset about trucks parked in, in their communities overnight. Um, so that is, of course, a challenge and a frustration. The exciting opportunity is that it is understood why the trucks are there more and more and that we need to find a permanent solution, that you can ticket and tow all you want. That's not a solution. Um, that's a Band-Aid at best that we need to work on solutions and do have to give credit to certainly our work, but but the mayor's office and the city council for trying to find solutions to this. Yep. The, the mayor created um, a truck parking task force um, specifically to solve this issue, and the city council is, is pushing some legislation, some of which is already announced, um, Intro 906, and I highly encourage anybody who drives uh, in New York City to let your legislators know that you support this legislation. Um, another is is in the works, and and I, I think that given the fact that all lever, levers of government are united in this, we might actually start, you know, seeing some solutions here <laughs> to the truck parking shortage. One would hope. Yeah. One would hope. And, and you're right. This is something that... It's not just what's needed. It's the right mm-hmm. thing to do. Yeah. Um, we don't have a trucking industry without our mm-hmm. truck drivers. Uh, they are the ones that are bringing the freight down the road and delivering the freight, and, and they deserve to have safe and secure um, areas to get much-needed rest, mandated rest, um, but also access to facilities yes. um, is is critical piece of that. And so this isn't a situation where we can look at the truck and just – kind of have it in the silo of why that truck's there, but look more holistically at the issue at hand. As, as you said, there's just nowhere for them to park. So uh, the fact that really as a result of the conversations that Tanny's been having, mm-hmm. you specifically, uh, with our city council members, with some of the civic organizations, with the mayor's group, we are starting to see some movement where they are recognizing, like, this isn't an enforcement issue. This is a lack of parking issue, and we need to address it. And it was really... The- um, in early April, uh, there was a transportation hearing at the city council, and they—they they, it was about truck route oversight, really. Um, so it was a, it was a a hearing about trucking, but really just about where they should be and, and where they shouldn't be. And it was it was a pretty good hearing. Um, this bill that I mentioned, nine hundred six, was included in that, which would create at least one overnight truck off street overnight truck parking facility uh, in each borough. So what was fascinating about this hearing was that the um, the chair of the committee, who's a really, really bright woman and, and dedicated legislator, opened the hearing thanking the truck drivers for the work they did during the pandemic, yep. which is absolutely incredible. 
um, that that was not something that we've ever seen, you know, to start a hearing. And you know, look, it wasn't all not in New York City. No, not in New York City. <laughs> and it wasn't it, it wasn't a love fest. It was a very open and honest hearing about some of the things that are done well and some of the challenges. And and that's the way it should be. That's the way the government process should be. So it was just so nice to hear that. Um, it, it was nice to hear some of the pointed questions. And there were members of the city council who during the course of their questioning, asked the city agencies, do you work with the Trucking Association of New York? Have you run this by the Trucking Association of New York? There were, you know, the, the city council members do their homework. They did their research. And there were a couple of quotes that came from us, um, which is outstanding. That That's just not something that was happening, you know, even a year or two ago. No, absolutely. And just the, the fact that they're paying attention to mm-hmm. it and they're holding these hearings to talk about trucking in a different light. So we, yes. we talk a lot about trying to change the dialogue. And I think one of the neat things about this hearing, and you're right, there it wasn't all positive. Mm-hmm. There were some negative comments that were made. That's to be expected. Yep. Um, but by and large, there's a recognition that in order for the industry to be efficient and productive, we have to help them. And whether it's um, looking at the truck route network in New York City and is it the most efficient Mm -hmm. that it can be or is it providing that truck parking that's necessary, we're starting to see that recognition that there's needs the industry has that the city really has an obligation to address. Um, So I think that was really the big positive for me that came out of watching that hearing was just the attention that they're starting to give to the issues that the industry is challenged with. Yeah, it is. And and, and I think... We've also done a really good job of starting to take a more holistic view and a more long-term view where there was a, a part in one of the bills that didn't really affect us one way or another. Um, but one member in particular actually had asked me for it um, you know, in a private conversation. And since I saw it in the bill, I said, let me just include this little anecdote and we say we support it. The council appreciated our support on that so much that it went such a long way of in the questioning to me being questioned positively rather than letting some of the negative comments uh, steer their questioning. And it, it's it's an interesting shift in perspective and just saying that, you know, if we could find a positive angle for some of these, we can really help the industry even more than just, oh, helping out this member that delivers a very particular kind of freight. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it's some eye-opening stuff and it's really exciting to be a part of it. Well, and I think it's, it's laying the groundwork mm-hmm. that we are here as a resource. And as we've said, you know, we don't, we're, we're not going to agree on everything. Um, we're not going to support everything that the council comes out with, but there's areas of common ground yep. that we can work together on both with the council, as well as some of the other community groups in New York city, um, and then that's where we start to make progress because you can't be seen as a group that's always going to say no. Right. Um, or they're just going to stop talking to you. So when we find those areas that make sense where we can find common ground, maybe, um, you know, find a compromise that there, it's still a win. Right. Exactly. Versus just not being included as part of the process, which would be a loss. Exactly. Exactly. And that is why we really do encourage um, member participation um, really is great. You know, I, I, I love sitting around at City Hall testifying. 
Um, but it, it's, it's better. It's, <laughs> yeah, okay. A lot of people are going to start to question you as a person. <laughs> These little city council hearings can be um, very, very long. <laughs> I, keep, keep your phone charged. Make sure <laughs> yeah. you have a bottle of water with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, t- tell your loved ones you'll see them in a day or two. But it is important that they hear from membership as well. It is. It absolutely is. Um, so with truck parking, we know is a huge priority, both overnight and mm-hmm. curbside. And there's actually some progress being made on curbside. We're seeing some um, loading zone yes. provisions being put in place. It was actually legislation that we also supported mm-hmm. um, to try and provide some better access for pickup and delivery at the curb. Yeah. And, and it, it also, the, the loading zone, the curbside access speaks to one of the really interesting shifts we're seeing in New York City in that... And I'm sure the not I'm sure I know the pandemic pandemic spurred some of this as well. But there was a conversation pre-pandemic, you know, since um, Mayor De Blasio, since Bill De Blasio became mayor, um, about really eliminating trucks um, or significantly reducing trucks. And what we're seeing is the conversation really shift, certainly to reduce the reliance on trucks. Um, which is something that we are involved in and support because it is difficult to service 90% of freight in New York City um, alone. But it's about making sure those trucks have the access. It's about reducing these other vehicles, um, particularly passenger cars, making sure trucks can get in, get out quickly, efficiently, have room to work, and and go on with their day. And that alone is such a positive step. And so something like these new uh, loading zones and and curbside regulations that that the city is really pushing through, um, and they're pushing them through pretty quickly, which is not usually how New York City works. Is is in it of itself a win and exciting? Yeah, absolutely. So, somewhat related to parking, <laughs> and probably one of the well, I'm not even going to say one of the mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. that we hear the most about currently coming out of New York City, idling. Yes. Um, specifically, it's the Citizens Air Complaint Program. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who's not familiar <laughs> with this program, if you don't operate in New York City, New York City has um, essentially empowered empowered citizens yes. to be able to write tickets themselves on idling trucks. Um, I will not go into the specifics <laughs> of how all that works because we would spend far more time than we have. Um, <laughs> but as you can imagine, it, it's problematic. We've got general citizens out there that are writing tickets and they're incentivized because they get a quarter, 25%. Yeah, they get 25%. 25% of every fine um, yep. goes back to the citizen that wrote the ticket. And there's been media coverage on this program as of late. And we're hearing of citizens that are making you know five and six figures just in this program. It's basically their employment. Yeah. Um, and it's just wrought with issues. So we're, this is a high priority for us at TANI. I think we're slowly but surely starting to pick away at it. Um, but we still have a ways to go, but we are making some progress. We are making some progress on it and we're making progress in, in other ways too, where there was a thought of creating a sort of this bounty type system with other violations. That's the bounty portion has gone away. The citizen reporting has not. And and I think that's interesting because to me, the whole purpose of this program was sort of let's give 311 some teeth. Let's make sure that if a citizen sees something in their community, not a full-time job, mind you, just in the course of their day in their community, they see something that maybe a, an operator shouldn't be doing, um, they have a bit stronger action than to just call 311. That was 
I think we could all agree that was the intent of this program. That is not how the program has operated. As Kendra mentioned, there are a really a small amount, about 20 to 30 people, sit, citizens, if you will, um, who are making a fortune off of this. And about 85% of the tickets come from these people. Th they make so much money off of this that they far out earn the actual professional traffic enforcement agents, um, which, which is another whole issue about the city's workforce that, that we don't need to dig into. But it, it just speaks to how problematic this program has become um, as well intended as it, as it may mm -hmm. have been. And, and also to that point is it's like, why, it, it, if we're really trying to curb idling and specifically curb harmful emissions that idling can lead to, why is this such a black and white program? You know, there's so much more that they could be doing, and that's what we're asking for. We're asking that money go back into the industry to purchase cleaner vehicles. Um, we're asking that currently cleaner vehicles are exempt from this. And we're also asking for an understanding of how the industry works with a transfer of liability for company for rental and leasing companies and, and fleets that use contractors. Um, because there's a there's some concern that, well, you know, they just these companies are just eating the ticket as a cost of doing business. It's like it's not even going to the right party to right. change the behavior in the first place. Yeah, and I, that was one of the points. So aside from, you know, the issue of essentially rewarding mm -hmm. the writing of these tickets, um, the other big issue is just there's really a lack of due process. Yeah. The whole administration of the program is broken. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, Zach, I think that, you know, to be clear, we we understand what the intent was yeah. um, in terms of trying to curb idling vehicles. Um, but it's not working, and it's, it's not really serving the purpose for which it was created. Uh, so what we're trying to do, again, we don't have – we would like to see the program eliminated. So this right. this comes to one of those things we were talking about, right. right? Where you have to look at where you can get the win mm -hmm. and still have a positive impact, you know, for our industry. And and this is a case in point. So the the program is likely not going to go away entirely, but if we can change it so that the the funds that are generated go back to the industry mm -hmm. versus essentially lining the pockets of these citizens then at least there's funds available for those that want to invest in cleaner trucks, right? Yeah. So that's a big piece of it is let's put the money back into the industry. If you really want to address truck emissions, then provide a fund that the industry has mm -hmm. access to to invest in those trucks. The second piece of it is addressing the administrative issues. Yes, um, We're hearing that hearings for these tickets are being out 12 to 18 months. Yep. In some cases, they're not even getting a copy of the violation for a year mm -hmm. after the violation has occurred. It's really hard to defend yourself when there's such a lag in actually even receiving the notice of the violation in the first place. Exactly. And it's, it, you know, the driver may not still work for you, so you can't even correct behavior. Correct. If, the, if that's part of the intent of this program, which I think it is, you can't do that if that's how this program operates. Right. So some of the things that we're doing, we've met with DEP, mm -hmm. um, the Department of Environmental Protection in New York City, um, kind of laid out what our concerns were. We provided them with some recommended solutions, I think some of which they're considering, others they really haven't addressed with us. Um, but like everything, not <laughs> moving quite as quickly as no. we would like it to. Uh, so we are now starting to build um, a group to 
really show how far reaching this program is. I think there's a misconception that this is all big trucks in New York City, but it's actually hitting some very small businesses um, that have trucks to support their business, but isn't necessarily trucking. They don't consider themselves trucking companies, um, and that's a big issue. And I, I think that's another important thing to consider in that we, yes, we have large members, but our membership by and large is not the large companies. Our membership is small, medium-sized companies, still family-owned and operated. And the fact that it's hitting them the way it is also kind of shows that the program is is a little off tracks because it's not, it's not about, it's not targeting those big companies that the city thinks it is. And that's another issue for it. And, and I think that's another sort of misconception that we need to do. We're doing a good job, but we need to continue to do that is saying this is a very diverse industry. Um, what what one truck might haul is very different than another. And the sizes are different. The freight is different. The needs are different. And this sort of one size fits all type of program in and of itself is causing challenges due to the diversity of the industry. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So this is one of those issues that I don't think we see a short-term solution to. No, probably not. But it is something as an association that we are dedicated to. It's high priority, probably the top priority in New York City right now is addressing this program. Yes. Um, and we're trying to tackle it from a number of different angles, but building this group to really show the broad-reaching impact and, and the issues and concerns. Because in addition to the administrative, we have security issues, right? We like do, we, yes. We've heard of... Um, individuals that are following trucks and specifically some of our armored car haulers, which is just insane to me. Which is is exactly it. We, as an industry, haul, we have armored cars. So we haul cash and jewelry and incredibly valuable items that really should not be followed and should not be recorded. We also do heavy construction, and these are are serious job sites. you know, the the risk for injury at these job sites is is high. And to have people sort of sneaking onto these job sites to record trucks um, is is incredibly dangerous and incredibly problematic. And they might think that, you know, this, the again, the intent of the program was probably trucks making deliveries in residential areas. And that is not what's being targeted here. Right. And it's a major issue. So, and again, this comes to education. Mm-hmm. Because unless... We're speaking, our members are engaging and speaking about what's happening. Um, the council may not be aware of how off the rails this program has become because the original intent of what it was meant to do, it, it's certainly not accomplishing that goal. Um, so we'll continue to work on this. We've uh, started to build this this group. We'll be um, doing a whole host of things uh-huh. <laughs> coming up in the future. Uh, to really try and get this under control and and really make it a program that's feasible for the industry, that is successful in addressing emissions, um, but also provides some some benefit back to the industry as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that you know, moving into some of these other issues, they all do kind of touch around sustainability and and efficiency and and sort of these environmental efforts. Um, but that understanding of the industry has to happen for these to work. Another big, it's not, I wouldn't call it an issue yet, but it's, it's of concern. It's of question is the BQE and what is going to happen with the BQE. Um, I, I think 
many people might be familiar with this um, national effort to eliminate highways um, for different purposes and, and different reasons. But um, I, I think that not every highway is the same. And the BQE is such a vital freight corridor for the Northeast without a whole lot of other alternatives. Um, and so though there are many in New York City that would like to eliminate the BQE completely, um, there is certainly some frustration amongst some advocates that that's not really feasible. But there's also some concern about the, you know, from the trucking standpoint of, um, okay, but what's it actually going to look like? Are we going to have that freight access? Are we going to be able to, to use this essential corridor in the course of our business? Right. Yeah. And I think to your point, there's this group that wants to just kind of eliminate it mm -hmm. and build parks and make it all pretty. Yeah. Um, but we have to still be able to deliver freight. And one of the projects they point to is I do one in Syracuse, yes. um, which is a whole other, <laughs> a whole other segment. But in Syracuse, they have, um, received federal approval to, um, tear down the viaduct. It's a raised viaduct that carries I-81 right through the heart of, of Syracuse, the mm -hmm. city of Syracuse. And um, they have opted to essentially remove the viaduct and they're replacing it with a boulevard. So this is becoming somewhat of a poster child for a lot of these um, projects, including the BQE. The difference is in Syracuse, there are alternatives. Uh, so 481 runs around the east side of the city and they will... Uh, invest some funds in there, whether it's what we think mm -hmm. they should is a whole different story, right. but uh, they are making some investments there to make that the new 81. The BQE doesn't have that option. It, it's 278. Yes. And there is no other interstate or highway or viable access for route and close or for freight rather in, in close proximity. So it's an entirely different situation. Um, but I think that it's, it's starting to resonate, right? We're, we've been talking about the importance of freight. We keep talking about the pandemic, but mm -hmm. I think it, it's such a moment in time yeah. that really illustrated how critical the efficient mm -hmm. movement of freight is. And it, it's really resonating as it relates to this particular conversation on the BQE. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what's where some of the pain points are is that previous administration, I think, overpromised some of what is possible in terms of uh, modal shifts, uh, which led to a belief that it is possible to eliminate the need for trucks on the BQE, which it is absolutely not. Nope. Um, like we said earlier, the conversation really needs and is starting to, but really needs to shift from how do we replace, you know, how many cargo bikes can replace a truck? How many um, tractor trailers can be replaced by waterways? And, and that's a very poor way of looking at it. Um, and if you look at it that way, you will get things like a BQE that doesn't really work for anybody. A better way to look at it, which is what the city is starting to and needs to do more of, is to look at the percentage and say, okay, we expect to see a rather significant freight increase over the next 15, 20 years. Um, how do we get the New York City reliance on freight down closer to that national average? And how do we keep it there with um, anticipated increase in freight? And if that's the way that we start looking at things, then we could start seeing some real solutions here, which I think is what DOT is starting to pivot to a little bit. Um, of course, it's really difficult because 
you have a lot of professional engineers and urban planners that, that are looking at this issue and trying to put the pieces together. And then you have political concerns um, where you promise to remove a highway. You promise to uh, do right by an underserved community. You, you want to revitalize environmental justice communities. And you can do all those things, um, but you have to do them the right way and the smart way and not necessarily the political talking point. Right. Way. Yep, Absolutely. Um, so the VQE somewhat segues mm-hmm. into into our, our old friend <laughs> congestion pricing. Congestion pricing, um, mainly because there's an unknown in terms of what's going to happen with truck traffic. Yeah, how that's going to impact truck traffic on the BQE, um, depending on what they do with congestion pricing. So for those that are watching this <laughs> on YouTube, you will notice that Zach and I may have some different apparel on at this point in our recording. Um, so what happened is we previously recorded this episode, um, earlier in the summer. And at this point we were going to start talking about congestion pricing. However, since that previous recording, there's been some changes that have happened. So we felt that it was important, um, to bring to you the most up-to-date information as it relates to congestion pricing. Um, still a very significant concern. But what has happened since we originally recorded is that the Federal Highway Administration has essentially approved the environmental assessment that the MTA was required to do, and they've issued what's called a finding of no significant impact, otherwise known as a FONSI, mm-hmm. um, which somewhat blows our mind because <laughs> there is significant impact to this program, not just on the trucking industry, but to so many industries in New York City to the economy, to the environment, um, that it is really surprising that there hasn't been more scrutiny on this program. Mm -hmm. Um, So the FONSI's now been issued that allows MTA, the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, to now go forward with implementation of congestion pricing in New York City. Mm -hmm. One of the first things that they need to do now is decide what they're going to charge. So they, as part of this program... They have a traffic mobility review board that is going to look at the toll rates, if there's going to be time of day pricing, if there's going to be any exemptions, and then they make a recommendation to the MTA as to what they think the toll should be. So they just recently held their first meeting. It was a public meeting, but didn't allow for public input. (laughs) Um, Zach was at that meeting. So Zach, why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of of some of the things they talked about? Yeah, thanks. And and it really is... um... It's a shame that there wasn't the ability for public uh, comments here because it would have been nice for the members of the Traffic Mobility Review Board to have had some things clarified. But overall, um, watching this hearing, I'm very concerned. Um, I, I th- when you were giving your intro, you, you, you raised a really good point, which is that the commerce aspect of this is not discussed at all. The only thing in all the media that you'll hear regarding congestion pricing is, oh, it could cost you up to $23 to drive into Manhattan, which is they're talking about passenger vehicles. They're not talking about commercial. They're not talking about the impact to businesses in the zone or outside the zone. And that sort of followed through during this hearing, except, of course, it was a little bit um, more problematic because all of a sudden... The conversation came that, well, we should look at charging trucks more based on the axle. 
based on the size of the vehicle. And the this woman who works for the MTA even said, and it's it's on the slides, you know, it's it's all public that typically in America, when you're doing a tolling program, you charge trucks more because of the um, wear and tear on the road. Now, if there was the ability to have public comments, I would have said, but in those cases, the revenue from the toll goes back into the infrastructure, the road and the bridges to maintain it because that is the workplace of the truck. So the truck is getting something back. That is not what the congestion pricing scheme is at all. Every single penny raised in congestion pricing is going to borrow money for the MTA. It's just for transit. So this notion of, well, let's look at the axle of the vehicle is completely irrelevant to this particular toll that wasn't brought up. Very, very problematic. Another problematic part of this is, you mentioned it as well, time of day. And this notion of, well, if we give discounts uh, overnight, we could shift a lot of this truck traffic to off-hour delivery, and that way, um, you know, we'll, we'll reduce congestion in the zones and, and all those other things. Of course, as we know, TANI is very supportive of off-hour delivery program. Um, the issue is that it is based on when the receiver needs their goods. The freight follows the demand. And unless there is some amazing incentive to get these receivers to staff and receive their deliveries at night, um, it's not going to happen. And this isn't just, you know, idle speculation. The MTA in 2017, when everything was falling apart, they called it the summer of hell, they gave discounted toll rates at night on the MTA crossings. There was no difference in the truck traffic at all. Not only that, as supportive as we are of off-hour delivery, the city is behind their targeted goals. At this point in 2023, DOT wanted 1,500 um, businesses enrolled in off-hour delivery. They have about 1,100. So they're, you know, behind. They're, kudos to anyone involved, but they're behind. Um, delivery zones, they're way ahead of because they are following the demand. So we know where the demand is. We know when the trucks have to make their deliveries. There's nothing that's going to change that based on what's coming out of this congestion pricing talk. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, one of the concerns, too, with the off-hour delivery program, um, and again, we, we 100% support mm -hmm. it. We were part of the pilot program. There's benefits to delivering off-hours, mm -hmm. but to your point, um, it's not the trucking industry that determines their delivery appointments. It's the receiver. Um, and one of the things that we found in the initial pilot, there was funding that was available. So many of these receivers were receiving funding to help with uh, whether or not they had to pay somebody overtime to mm -hmm. be there to help offload the freight if they needed security. Once that funding ran out, a lot of those receivers went back to daytime delivery because they were not able to continue to pay to receive those overnight. So we found out that New York City DOT received another round of funding for this program. And one of the things we had said to them is, you have to ensure that mm -hmm. the receivers have a sustainability plan in place. So once that funding runs out, that they can continue 
to receive those deliveries overnight. Otherwise, that 1100 that you've mentioned may actually fall. Yeah. Right? It might not stay there. And as far as we're aware, that requirement has not been made. So I think the, the frustration for us as an industry with this whole congestion pricing scheme is that we're essentially getting penalized mm -hmm. to do our job. Yep. And the city, with these programs that they're putting in place, they're not really doing anything to help. They're not ensuring that um, if they are able to get these off-hour deliveries, that they can actually stay off-hour. They may eventually come back. Um, the other piece is <clears throat> coming out of the draft environmental assessment, there were a lot of concerns about the truck traffic and the diversion. Mm -hmm. um, and there was also a lot of concerns about the impact on those individuals that are in transit deserts and have to drive. Right. So the MTA's answer to that <laughs> was they are now only going to charge passenger vehicles. Well, passenger vehicles was in the original legislation, but now the MTA is saying for hire vehicles and taxis are only going to be charged once per day. So when you look at by their own numbers, between passenger vehicles Taxis for hire vehicles, that's 88% of the traffic coming right. into the zone. Trucks make up 4% of the overall traffic in the zone, yet they're going to give a once a day charge to 88% of their traffic. So where's the incentive for them to to take transit? Exactly. And so and they they broke it out. So they have what they call trucks are 4% and then what they're going to categorized as commercial vans or 5%. Right. So commercial traffic is about 9%, which is where they're trying to get a little, um, I'll, let's use the word clever in terms of uh, how you classify these vehicles, but it's commercial activity. Um, it's a very low percentage of the vehicles in the zone, but that's exactly it. Um, it it's looking more and more like they're going to ask them to pay the majority of this. And, and keep in mind, keep in mind that by law, this plan must generate $1 billion to then borrow $15 billion. So this is not like any other congestion pricing plan around the world they, because those plans are not about revenue. Those plans are actually about traffic flow. This is not a traffic flow plan. This is a revenue plan. And as the trucking industry, you should be really concerned about that. Absolutely. Um, so we don't know yet where this goes from here. Uh, traffic Mobility Review Board... Um, held just their first meeting. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of moving pieces to this. The one thing that we can say from Tani is that we are planning on pushing back. Um, we don't know yet what that looks like. We are developing some um, strategies. We're working internally. We're also going to be working with our national partners at the American Trucking Associations um, to figure out what we need to do. But the one thing we can assure you is we, we are not just going to say, okay, <laughs> um, we are very much planning on pushing back and doing everything that we can, uh, to protect the trucking industry from this tolling scheme. And I do say scheme. It's not a program. <laughs> it is without question, a tolling scheme. Um, so I think that that's kind of where we're at right now in the process. And like I said, we just wanted to make sure we were bringing you the most up-to-date information on what's going on with congestion pricing Still a lot to come, um, and we will certainly keep all of our listeners updated on this as uh, the, the program continues to roll out. Uh, we do know that New Jersey has um, 
now brought a lawsuit against New York State, yep. and um, Staten, Staten Island. Island has joined in it with it as well. They may not be the last ones, um, so I think that there's going to be a, a tough road ahead for this program to actually get up and running. Absolutely. Yep. Um, so with that, this segment was New York City. We <laughs> talked a lot about the different challenges, but also some some good things that are going on. Um, but certainly enough down there that that keeps Zach busy, and we're we're very happy to have him on board. I'm happy to be on board. I don't really sleep much, but that's okay. It's <laughs> right. important work. <laughs> well, it is the city that never sleeps. It's Zach. true. That's fair. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we want to thank you for joining us on Key Up New York for another episode, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.